You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington. We meet each Sunday with two services, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We hope you enjoy. Want to know more about us? You can check us out online at www.axecamus.org. Okay, here's the sermon. We hope God blesses you through it. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you'd be here in our midst moving in this place, Lord. We do worship you. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. God, I pray you'd pour your Holy Spirit out on this place, that you would pierce our hearts, that your word would enliven us, that your Holy Spirit would empower us, that we would revive our passion for you, and that you might do that for us this morning and that it might burn throughout the week, Lord just a passion and a fire for you. Jesus, we love you so much. We ask that you teach us this morning in your name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, If he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. That was me. I was that lost sheep. And Jesus came after me. And it is hard to understand how he could have done so, why he would have done so. And yet he did. And I am so joyful that I was gloriously saved by him. There is a world out there today that's trying to find freedom and pleasure and peace and comfort and joy. But they're trying to find all those things without God. They want to find all those things on their own. They're like sheep wandering about, thinking to themselves, I don't need a shepherd. I can do it myself. They followed the crowd. They found themselves going after what the culture says. And in the end of that, they find themselves alone and afraid and cold and in the dark. And in their hearts, they are reaching out, saying, give me truth. Save me. It may not show on their Instagram feed, but it's what's happening. Just like every one of us who's a Christ follower was gloriously saved, there are many out there who are lost who need to be saved. They're spiritually dead. They're emotionally broken. And God loves them passionately and completely. He loves them as much as he loves you. Let me just tell you something. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. There is no heart emoji smiley thing on your phone that begins to capture the amount of love and passion that God has for you and for them. 
That is how our God is towards them. Listen to this, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is the Lord, and the harvest is plentiful. Listen, there is no freedom, there is no progress, there is no peace, there is no hope, there is no joy without Jesus. None. People have adopted the lies of a worldview that tells them they can have it all and be their own shepherd. Self-help. They can do it on their own. They don't need God. It's the nature of this human... I mean, do you even understand the amount of money that goes into the self-help section of your bookstore or Amazon or whatever? People want to do it on their own, and they continue to be in the same place that the person who thinks they can beat gravity ends up, in pain on the ground. Because you can't self-help. You can't do it. They need a life change. They need to be transformed. They need to be made spiritually alive. John chapter 15, Jesus talks about being the vine, and we're the branches Now, if a branch doesn't abide in the vine, it withers and it dies. That's what happens to branches that aren't in vines. They turn brown, they get withered, they die. If we don't abide in the vine, if we don't abide in Christ, we start to wither spiritually. If people in the world won't abide in Christ, they wither and die spiritually. And there is a world that is withering and dying because it is not abiding in Christ. That's where they are. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There is a harvest of 450,000 people, give or take, in this county today where we serve, where we're sitting, who are not in church this morning. We're not connecting to a body this morning. The last few weeks we've been studying what Jesus has commanded us in the Great Commission. We've focused on that. Our call and our command from our Lord, Jesus Christ, to evangelize and disciple the world. I'm going to read it to you. It's not the first time I've read it. It, Lord willing, won't be the last time I've read it. This is the Great Commission. This is our mission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to do on March 22nd, by the way, if you haven't been baptized, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This is our mission. It's our mission. So many people in the world just want to know what they're supposed to do. Especially young people. They're like, what is this whole adulting thing? You've put a lot of pressure on me to succeed, but you haven't really told me what I'm supposed to do. I sure don't want to do it like you all have been doing it. 
Doesn't seem to be working out. So what am I supposed to do? And here we have a clear mission. And you have a mission field. You have a mission field right there where you sit in your home, at your school, at your job, with your family, with your neighbors, with the people at the coffee shop, with the 450,000 people right here. You have a mission field. There is no confusion about what we are called to do. We must tell others about what God has done for sinners because of his awesome love for us. He brought his son to live the perfect life, the life that none of us have lived. We couldn't live it. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, took upon himself the wrath of God that we deserved. He died, he was buried, and he rose again three days later. We are witnesses to the message of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We are witnesses to the message that people can trust Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. In Christ, we are justified before God. Us, sinners, justified. We have peace with God. We have relationship with God. We are alive. We are free. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It's really quite simple. The news is really quite simple. Anyone who has lived in this world can understand that it's broken and that they need salvation. Anyone who's lived very long has realized that a self-help thing doesn't work. And so we are the ones, we have been given the gospel to bring. We're commanded to share. It's the news that we are commanded to share. 2 Timothy 4, 5, this is Paul writing a letter to Timothy. It says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. All of us, every Christ follower in this room, listening online, on the Condo Play podcast, whatever it is, if you are hearing this and you are a Christ follower, you are to do this work. You are called to do this work. All right, I got a question for you. How many of you remember the late 60s and early 70s? Just raise your hand if you do. Okay. How many of you were alive in the late 60s, early 70s, but don't remember any of it? Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. We've heard about you. All right. It's all right. Jesus saves, baby. All right. If you remember when people would drive down the road and they'd honk the horn and they'd put their finger up like this, who remembers that and what it means? Anybody remember that? So what it meant was one way to salvation through Christ. It was kind of a popular thing, especially on the West Coast, particularly in California, at the time in the late 60s, early 70s. It was called the Jesus Movement. Some of you remember, who remembers the Jesus Movement? Okay, we got some folks in here who remember the Jesus Movement. Here's a picture to kind of remind you that was the Jesus Movement, okay? Bunch of young people. Y'all remember that, and those of you who raised your hand, you're pretty old now, right? Because that was 50 years ago. 50 years ago, people are like, yeah, that is a long time ago. For those of you who don't remember, 
The Jesus movement was a time when many, many, many young people came to saving faith by grace in Jesus Christ. Basically started in California. It was a renewal. It was a revival. It was a time when young people on college campuses were looking for revolution. They were calling for violent overthrow of the government. The conflict in Vietnam was going on. There were anti-war rallies. There were pro-communist rallies. There were riots. The country was divided, and it was unraveling. Sound familiar? That's where they were, just like now. And there were believers in places like Berkeley, California, who started preaching the gospel to the hippies. They were preaching to the countercultural youth who were sick of the way that the older generation was running the country, was running culture. They were pushing back against, they were revolting against, they were looking for some truth. And into that cultural moment came believers who had the courage to go and preach the gospel. They were street preaching. They were witnessing to people individually. And during that time period, according to at least one estimate, at least 250,000 people came to faith in Christ, young people. It was, a, it was an incredible time. It was an incredible time because the church itself, the American church, was not doing very well with young people. This is what Greg Laurie says. He's a pastor who was around at that time. He says, the church pre-Jesus movement was disconnected from youth. They were answering questions no one was asking, and they were not answering the questions people were asking. And so into that, some people dared to risk boldly speaking for Jesus. And hundreds of thousands of young people got saved and were on fire for Jesus. It was a real deal. It actually went around the world. The Jesus movement uh, touched Britain, Australia, uh, Midwest, probably even South Dakota, Susan. All over. Jesus movement moved. (laughs) We are still benefiting today from the changes in the culture of the church that was brought about by the passion that these new believers had for Jesus. The way that we do music now, believe it or not, was not the way that it was going on at the time. A lot of the, the music that we have now, the, uh, the way that we do it, comes actually from the folks who were part of that Jesus movement. And listen, I like organ music as much as the next 90-year-old, okay? I totally do. No, I'm kidding. I actually do like organ music, but it's not my preference for worship. And we have a totally different way of worshiping because of what they brought in and said, you know what? We don't have to be so culturally divided in the way that we do things. We just need to be culturally divided in the truth that we bring. And they brought that in. And there are a whole bunch of them that are still saved, that are pastoring all over the country. The whole Calvary Chapel movement basically came out of that which Crossroads down the street is part of that. And Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa is kind of where it started. It's all over the world. And a lot of that came out of the Jesus movement. According to Greg Laurie, uh, the pastor I was just mentioning, he said that these young men and women were ecstatic about finding the truth of Jesus Christ. Why were they so ecstatic? Because they were living in lies and they, and they were starting to realize it. And when the truth of Jesus Christ came, they were excited 
excited. And for those of you who might be thinking, well, things were different back then. America was kind of more culturally Christian, and so it was easier to witness and and all those kinds of things. It is not as different. It was not as different back then as you may think. Okay? Time magazine. Magazines are, for those of you who are young, they're made out of paper, have lots of pictures and stuff, mostly cigarette ads. And uh, you can go still see them at the grocery store, like the museum section of the grocery store. People used to get these. And Time Magazine was a very popular magazine. A lot of people got it. It was a news magazine, news magazine, but it was kind of uh, culturally, uh, it, sort of, it sort of was a, a barometer of the cultural times. And in 1966, kind of right prior to the Jesus movement, there was a cover story on Time Magazine, big cover, and it said this, April 8th, 1966, volume 87, number 14, if you want to look it up. It said, is God dead? That's where they were. Now, let me tell you something. If the church was moving and shaking and affecting the culture and things were going great, then they wouldn't have been saying, is God dead? It was clearly a reaction to what they were seeing happen in culture. That's where we were. But then the Jesus movement got going. And hundreds of thousands of young people were getting saved. And just a few years later, in 1971... June 21st, 1971, volume 97, number 25, the cover story read, Jesus' Revolution. That's the the extent to which those who who were serious about Jesus, that's the extent to which they had pervaded into culture, broken down the gates of hell, and brought hundreds of thousands of young people into the kingdom that the Holy Spirit drew. It was a revival. It was a move of the Holy Spirit. At that time, there were local expressions of the body of Christ, local churches, some of whom accepted these hippies into their church, which was difficult, by the way. Because to be fair, some of these hippies, you know, they had the long hair, which was not how you're supposed to be back then. You're not supposed to have long hair. Forget about tattoos. Forget about any of that kind of stuff. Long hair, they might not have smelled great. Didn't always... Uh, shower as much as they should, probably no shoes on. They come in, they put their feet up, whatever. And for the, for the old traditionalists, that was very difficult. And so for some of them, it was like, let's not do that here. Go down the street to the hippie church. And for the churches who rejected the young people, they didn't get to be part of that movement. They didn't get to be part of seeing the Holy Spirit work that way. But many, many churches accepted it and said, I see Jesus moving. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they smell like. I don't care how it's going. I want to be part of what's happening. And they got to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in the Jesus movement. That's how it worked. And God can move like that again. He has done it many, many, many times. In many places, he's actually doing it right now in places like China and India and South America and different places where the gospel's exploding, the Holy Spirit's doing work. Those of you who were around in the late 60s, early 70s, maybe got saved in the Jesus movement. Maybe you were already believers. Maybe you got saved from those who got saved in the Jesus movement. Whatever it may be, you can be part of it again in your lifetime because you've made it this far. You can be part of revival, but we have to be hungry for it hungry for. We have to love people passionately. We have to pray for the 450K that we're trying to reach. We have to be serious about it. 
At some point after the Jesus movement had kind of taken off, Greg Laurie, the pastor I was talking about, Pastor Greg Laurie, asked Pastor Chuck Smith, who was kind of the, the leader of, of Calvary Chapel, okay? So this was some years after Jesus' movement. He said to him, do you think we will ever see another Jesus revolution, Jesus movement? This is what Chuck Smith said. He said, I don't know if we're desperate enough. I don't know if we're desperate enough. Because it takes serious commitment, desperation, love that just pours out hearts that are just raw for people to move out and do the things that you have to do. Because you know what we love? You know what the enemy of revival is? Comfort. Mmm, it's nice to be comfortable, isn't it? I like to be comfortable. My guess is you like to be comfortable. Look, we bought these chairs with like this much foam on them. Used to sit in those wooden pews. We got the foam chair. We like to be comfortable. There's nothing wrong with the foam chairs, by the way. I'm not suggesting it's keeping us from bringing the gospel. I'm just saying we like to be comfortable. There's nothing wrong with the fact that we like comfort unless it gets in the way of obedience. Because comfort can be the enemy of obedience. Are we desperate? Are we desperate to see people know Jesus? God is the Lord of the harvest. He will do his will. That is going to happen. Do we want to be a part of that? Do we want to be celebrating when people come to repentance? Do we want to be in this room watching person after person after person being transformed by the love of Jesus Christ? Baptized right over here, coming out of the water, excited, and just celebrate that God has done for them what he's done for us. Forgiving our sin, giving us grace. Grace, there's nothing like grace. There's no other worldview. There's no other uh, set of beliefs on earth that includes grace. Go look at every other religion, every other worldview. I'll tell you what all of them have. They have a system whereby you do things to try to earn things. Jesus Christ is the only grace that's out there. That's what separates the believer in Jesus Christ from everyone else in the world. And we have that message. Do you want to see it? Because that's what's on the table. Revival, revival, renewal, transformational life change, starting right here in Clark County as we pray and contend for the 450,000 people who are in church today, moving into Portland and the Northwest and the world. Right here doing all of that. And you might say, well, that seems like an awfully big vision. You're darn right it is. And you know where it comes from? The scripture. That's where it comes from. That is the pattern of the move of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Clark County, Portland, the Northwest, the ends of the earth. That's what we're looking for. That's what's on the table. That's who we can be because God can do it. He loves these people. He will use you. He will use you. The Holy Spirit is powerful. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The gospel message is life, and there are those who are desperately looking 
for the water of life to quench their thirst that's killing them. We are children of God. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. It is time. It is time. 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, this was written to the Hebrews, the Israelites. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is the kind of God we have. If we'll put aside our pride, our gossip, all those things that we saw in that video that need to burn up. If we'll put aside all of that, if we'll put aside comfort over obedience, put aside those things, and we turn our hearts to God, and we pray, we repent, and we ask God to move, He will move. He will move through you and me. This is a battleship, not a cruise ship. Not about comfort. It's about going to war against Satan, against the powers and the principalities of the air, about the, against the lies and the false philosophies to go save those who are broken and lost and afraid. Have you seen what it looks like at Costco when you try to buy toilet paper right now? It is funny, but it's sad because I don't know how much people think they're going to need to use the restroom, but... What it shows is that when something pops on the scene, those who have no foundation are absolutely thrown into hysteria. Now, look, you should be wise. If you need toilet paper, please pick some toilet paper up. It's fine, okay? You need water, hand sanitizer. We looked for hand sanitizer this week to make sure we had enough. There was some of it on Amazon for like $200 for hand sanitizer. I mean, come on. If I'm going to drink, I mean, I'm going to use hand sanitizer. No, I'm kidding. I don't drink hand sanitizer on Sundays. Anyway, so people are crazy. They go crazy when their fear gets hit because they don't have a foundation. They're scared. They're scared. The time is now. Let me just tell you something. I have been called to do what I've been called to do, just as you've been called in what you've been called to do. Each one of us in the body of Christ fitting together. Some of us are arms, some of us are legs, mouths, whatever. I'm probably the bottom. But in any case, we all have our place, okay? And part of my place has been studying and thinking about philosophies and worldviews and ideas and watching the world and seeing what's happening. I was uniquely placed as an attorney to see the, the way that things are going because the law tends to push in front of where culture tends to be. And so I've got to see all this stuff. And God has shown me a lot of stuff and taught me a lot of things. And I'm telling you right now, the time is now. This is when people need to hear Jesus like they've never been willing to listen about Jesus before. They're afraid. They're dying in untruth and uncertainty in fear and confusion. And we have the gospel. We can't just keep it here in this room. We need to pray for revival, for healing, for forgiveness, for the Lord to send workers into his harvest. But I got to be honest with you. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to hurt. 
the nature of following Jesus in a broken and fallen world is that there's going to be pain in the offering. Those who were faithful to Jesus Christ's great commission in the late 60s and early 70s, they had to face persecution, daily threats. These guys who were preaching and, and, and witnessing to people on Berkeley, they were threatened all the time, physically threatened. Clearly, they had to deal with the fact that it was going to be socially awkward. They had to deal with all kinds of stuff, but they went forward. And as a result of them not being in fear and bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people, there are hundreds of thousands, and probably because of the way that the Lord works, millions of people who have been affected by those who just had the courage and the willingness to give up comfort for the gospel, for obedience. The apostles, first century, Pentecost, church starts, 3,000 people the first day, and they're off and running, but they faced persecution. According to some historical accounts, the apostles experienced some of these things. They were crucified. They were beheaded. They were burned to death. They were dragged to death. They were clubbed to death. They were hanged. They were pierced to death. Basically, if there's a way that ends in death, that's probably what happened. They experienced all of that. Who's in? Right? Not easy. It wasn't easy. They were willing to risk beatings, and they got some beatings. They're willing to give their lives, let alone their social status or their wealth or their comfort, their very lives. And as a result of it, I'm saved and those of you who are in Christ are saved because they were willing to do that. To this day, we are genetically, spiritually linked to Pentecost, to these men and women who gave their lives who Nero stuck up on poles and lit on fire to light the way to his parties. He lost. Jesus won. We're still here. We aren't going anywhere. And we are going to see the Holy Spirit move. God used those people to bring the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ, into the lives of other people through the power of the Holy Spirit you got to ask yourself, what does it mean to that person? Think of that sheep. It's raining. It's cold. It's up against a rock, scared, doesn't know what to do because the shepherd is long gone. And that little sheep thought he could get away without having a shepherd. And when the shepherd comes, the sheep has joy, right? What does it look like to someone who's in that place when they see that you are willing to give up comfort for obedience? What does it mean to them when they see that you are willing to die for Jesus, for the gospel? Let me tell you what it means. It's very, it's very easy. What it means to them is that when you say you believe something, they believe that you believe it. I'm not saying that your willingness to die will automatically save anyone. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But I can tell you this, they will believe that you believe what you say you believe. And for every person that comes into this place and every person who I ever witnessed to, some of them, the Holy Spirit will draw. They will, they will hear the call of the Lord. They will come to him. We'll see them baptized. We'll see them grow. We'll get to disciple them. All of those kinds of things. Some of them will walk away. But here's the thing I am determined and committed to, that not one of them will say he doesn't believe what he says he believes. They don't believe what they say they believe because I don't see the commitment. I don't see the willingness 
I want people to know that I live for Christ and I would die for Christ because he died for me. I want people to know the power of the gospel to save them. That I believe it, that I know it. Jesus and the gospel of God, the gospel of peace cannot be anything less than everything to us. Everything, it has to have first place. My daughter and I were talking last night because, you know, I'm a fantastic father. <clears throat> I take time for my children. Sometimes. Anyway, we were talking last night, and she asked me, why is it that so many young people who grow up in church-going families leave the church? Why is that? And she's not wrong, by the way. Here's the numbers for you. Ready? According to the Family Life Council of the Southern Baptist Convention, 88% of the children in evangelical homes leave church at the age of 18. 88%. That's terrible. And she was honestly asking me, what is up with that? She's saying, I believe. I, I want, I'm a Christ follower. But what does this mean? That so many people who grew up in homes of people who go to church leave at 18. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons for it. I'm not going to, I could do a whole sermon on all the reasons why I think it happens. But there's a few. One, many of them never bought in. There may be a lot of reasons for that. It could just be obstinance and rebellion. But you know what else it could be? It could be that they looked at the people who were professing faith in Christ. And they said, I'm not buying it. They don't believe what they say they believe. Could be that they haven't been built up to be able to answer the first person or college professor, whoever comes along and says, God's not real. And they go, oh, I don't know what to say. Because they haven't been built up in it. Because we've gotten too comfortable. Because we didn't see the war because we thought we'd already won. And we lived in this Christian nation and all these things were going to be great. That's all nonsense. And now 88% of people leave at age 18. If we're lukewarm, we send a message that we do not really believe what we say we believe. Nobody respects the beliefs of a lukewarm person. What do you believe? Well, I sort of think. Blah, blah, blah. Let's follow that guy. That guy, lukewarmness. Yay. No, that's not how it works. If you say one thing and your kids see something different, they're not stupid. And they're going to start questioning, well, what else is out there? What else is out there? No one respects the beliefs of a lukewarm person. We have to be like the apostles. We got to fight against the gates of hell the devil, the power of the air, the false philosophies, the nonsense, all the things that bring people to that place and coldness and darkness and loneliness, all of those things that cause that, the addiction. Do whatever you want. Do what feels good. It is not going to feel good for long. And then they need truth. And if we can't bring truth because we're not committed to it, because we've chosen comfort over obedience, then who will? It's you, Christian, Christ follower. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. We have to be willing to face rejection and persecution and discomfort and pain. 
We cannot be afraid and we cannot be ashamed. Listen to Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. How could we be ashamed of the power of God for salvation to people that are dying? We cannot be ashamed. We cannot be afraid. I'm encouraging you. I'm exhorting you. Go to the mission field that God has put in front of you. Do what he has called you to do. Be courageous. We don't have a spirit of fear. Move forward. Move forward. Go. There are people who God will use you. He will use you and you will get to be a part of them coming into the kingdom. I know we think the people don't want to hear about Jesus. I know we think that. They thought that the Jews didn't want to hear about Jesus after Jesus was crucified. And 3,000 of them came to the Lord on Pentecost. And thousands more after that. We think that the Portland area, Clark County, and so on, the people don't want to hear about Jesus. They want to hear about Jesus desperately if they knew who he was. If they understood the truth, if they see him in your life, if they see your love and your passion for him, if they see that you don't fear and that you're not moved by everything that's coming down, oh my gosh, this person won the election or that disease is coming or this is what, and, and you can show that you're steady, that you trust God. They want that. They want the truth. They do want to hear about Jesus. Ask yourself this. Would you die for Jesus? Did you go to jail for him? Did you lose your job for Jesus? Or will we not even give up our sin for him? Will we not even face some embarrassment or possible embarrassment for him? Got to ask ourselves where we're at. What's winning here? Comfort, pain avoidance, relative wealth and prosperity? Is that more important? Or is Jesus, our Lord, and his commands and our obedience more important? Where are we at? Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now, I've run out of time, but I still have all of this. I'd give you the choice, but I know some of you get hungry. So, Guess what we're doing next week? More, more of this. Listen, listen, brothers and sisters, and those of you who are here just seeking, just trying to figure it out, let me just say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Those of you who are in Christ have been given something so amazing that none of us deserved. Not only your salvation, not only the grace and forgiveness of sins, but you've been entrusted with the gospel of God. You can speak to it as one who has been affected by it. You can speak to it as a Christ follower, as a believer, as one who was dead and is now alive, who was lost and now is found, who was blind and now sees. There are dead and lost and blind people and we have been, not asked, commanded to go to them. I, I, I cannot say this enough right now. I feel like we just need to hear it over and over again. This is the time. 
God could have led us to talk about any number of things. There's so much good stuff in the scripture. And we'll get to it. Lord willing, we'll study the scripture. You know how we do it. We just go through it. You hear long enough, you get 50 years in, we'll probably get all of it. But right now, today, the world is ripe. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. We cannot be complacent, lazy, comfortable. It's going to take us, it's going to cost us time. Your calendar is going to be affected by this. This thing here, everybody ready to run? This is going to be affected. Okay? It's going to be painful. And it's going to be glorious. And when you're 100 years old, and you're sitting on the porch, and you're looking back, and you say, I got to be part of something that God did that Lord willing is spreading to that day, or at least until he comes back, where people are being saved. We can be a part of Clark County coming to Jesus. We worry about a lot of things. We worry about changing the laws, making sure that there's whatever happens to be. I went to Christian law school, so it was prayer in schools, and it was getting the Ten Commandments up and all that kind of stuff. We were, there was a lot of people at that school who that was kind of their thing. That was their passion. That's all good. Here's the thing. God will change their hearts. And when their hearts are changed, nobody shows up to have an abortion. You can make all the laws you want, but if you change hearts, nobody shows up. People pray in school because they pray, because they love Jesus. We don't have to make people do it. We can make them want it. It is our job to change the hearts of these people. You were put here for a reason. You are here in this place. And wherever you are, if you're listening online, you are where you are to bloom where you're planted. God's going to do it. He's going to do it with or without us, okay? I believe that the, that the wave is cresting. It's about to happen. We can be a part of it or we cannot be a part of it. But if you want to be a part of it, you got to pay for it. you got to pay for it with your comfort. you got to pay for it with your time. you got to pay for it with your money. you got to pay for it with your devotion. Start praying hard that we get to ride that wave that God is making happen. Let's see revival. Thanks for listening to that Axe Church sermon. We hope God spoke to you through it. We would like to invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. for our Sunday service. If you enjoyed this sermon, have questions for us, or simply want to connect with Axe Church more, find us on Facebook under Axe Church Northwest. Send us an email or message or leave us a rating or recommendation. We appreciate all of you and hope to hear from you.